You know, we all have some different uh, thoughts and opinions and ideas when it comes to the idea of authority, don't we? Some of us think that power and strength is found in ruling over other people and that authority is something that we have to tame, whether it's with our family or our coworkers or our neighbors. We think that authority is forcing others to bend to our will. On the other side of that, there are those of us who think that authority is something that we should question at every single turn. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we all probably have a twisted view of what authority actually is and isn't. And we definitely all struggle with the idea that we must submit ourselves to someone else's authority. We get to pick and choose the authority that we are going to follow and what we're not. Don't believe me? Driving 55... Man, that's just too slow. I think the speed limit should be 65 or maybe even 85, right? We have a tendency to evaluate the rules according to what we think they should be and not what they actually are. There was one teacher who found a pretty powerful way to assert his authority over a troubled class without ever saying a word. During the summer, this teacher had injured his back and had to wear a plaster cast that went most of the way up his chest. But when he had a shirt on, you couldn't really tell that he had this cast on. And so the first day of school, he was assigned the worst class in the entire school. And so he walks in very confidently to the classroom. Without saying a word, he immediately walks over to the window and opens it as far as it will go. And then goes, without saying anything to any of his students, goes and sits at his desk and begins working on his papers. And it isn't long before a, a a breeze blows through, and his papers go flying, and his tie flies up around his face. And again, without saying a word, he looks directly at his students, he grabs his tie, and then he grabs the stapler, and he begins stapling his tie down to his chest. Needless to say, he didn't have any problems with discipline for the rest of the year. <laughs> They're not going to mess with this crazy teacher stapling his tie to his shirt, right? We all have some different ideas about what authority is and what authority isn't. Well, last week we finished looking at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus laid out for us the choice that each of us must make. The question that we must answer is, are we going to choose the wide, easy road, or are we going to choose the narrow, hard road? Are we going to choose to listen to what Jesus says and then walk away and do nothing about it, or are we going to choose to listen to what Jesus says and then do it and put it into practice? There's only two choices. There's only two roads the wide road or the narrow road. It's simple, but it's far from easy. We have heard Jesus teach with authority, but today we're going to see Jesus back up that authority by healing sicknesses and casting out demons. And we're going to see how and why we should submit our lives over to Jesus's authority because he is the son of God. We are in the middle of our series going through the gospel of Matthew and uh, Jesus has been teaching us and he's been showing us how to live in the kingdom of heaven, how to live under God's authority. He's been teaching us and showing us how we are to be salt and light. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Matthew and we're going to be in the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 there. 
If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. Please take one as a gift from us. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word that you can read on your own. Uh, It's important for us to be daily in God's Word. Uh, So please grab a copy if you don't have one. We'd love to give you a copy. Uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament if you're looking for it. It's closer to the back, but not at the very back. Um, It's the first book of the New Testament. And it's the first of four books that we call the Gospels. And that word gospel means good news. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the good news about Jesus. As you're turning there to Matthew chapter 7 and 8, I want you to listen to Peter's words because I want you to keep these words in your mind today as we study Matthew 7 and 8. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter says, Listen to this, fellow Israelites. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which he did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I want you to keep these words in your mind, because we're going to see Jesus start to perform these miracles and wonders and signs. Jesus is accredited by God with these miracles and wonders and signs that we are going to see today. Jesus is the Son of God. His teachings showed it, his miracles proved it, and his resurrection solidified his authority as the Messiah. So read along with me in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 28. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, a large crowd followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Let's pause there for just a, uh, a moment. So Matthew gives us some pretty interesting commentary about these crowds, doesn't he? These crowds were amazed uh, at Jesus' teaching because Jesus taught with authority um, and, and there's something that the, the teachers of the law didn't do. Jesus' powerful sermon had gotten everyone's attention in the crowd, and they were enthralled with his words. Um, they had never heard anything like this. Jesus talked about a kingdom that they actually wanted to be a part of. But I want you to keep this in mind over the next couple of weeks, because we're going to see these large crowds, these large, fickle crowds, quickly turn and begin thinning out when Jesus more plainly explains the cost of following him. And so we're going to come back to this thought. Jesus shows his power and his authority uh, now by healing this man with leprosy. But Jesus also shows us something else in this moment. He not only shows his authority as the son of God, but he also shows us his compassion as a savior. 
Now, leprosy isn't something that we are as familiar with in our day and time. There's only about 100 cases that are diagnosed in the United States every year of leprosy, and only about 200,000 cases of leprosy in the entire world that are diagnosed. Uh, Leprosy is an infection from a slow-growing bacteria, and it affects the nerves and the skin and and the eyes and the lining of the nose. And and nowadays, with early diagnosis and treatment, uh, for the most part, leprosy can be taken care of. Um, But oftentimes it shows itself in in skin rashes and bumps. Um, But during Jesus' time, they didn't have modern medicine like we do now. And so they followed the law, which is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13 and 14, the Levitical law, when it comes to skin diseases like leprosy. And so they were told that people who had these type of skin diseases, people who had leprosy, that they were to isolate themselves. They were then also to cover their face. And then when they were around anybody, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that people would know to steer away from them. They were forced to live outside the city all alone, and they ended up forming these colonies that they lived by themselves. Could you imagine you've had COVID in the last couple of years, you know the isolating for 10 or 14 days and how, uh, how tough that is for us not to be around people. Now take that and multiply it by years. Th- these, these lepers had no interaction with other people. These lepers had no physical contact with anyone else. This man had not only suffered physically from this disease, But he also suffered emotionally and mentally from years of isolation and no physical touch. Jesus doesn't just heal this man. But notice what it said there. He reached out and touched him. If you've ever been hurting, you know how much a hand on your shoulder, an arm around you, a hug, how much that can mean and bring healing to him. Try to imagine this man. He was not only healed and cleansed, But for the first time in maybe years, someone put their hand on his shoulder. We see Jesus' authority as the Messiah, but we also see his compassion as a Savior. He puts his hand out and touches this man and says, I am willing, be clean. Jesus begins to show us the authority that he has as the Son of God by healing this leprous man but it's going to be a Roman centurion who is actually going to teach us what authority actually means and how it works. Look at verse 5, the next verse there in Matthew 8. It says, the centurion, or excuse me, uh, When Jesus came to Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Let's pause there for just a moment. So, A couple of things I want you to notice here. First, there is a Roman centurion. Now, most likely he was not Jewish, right? Now, we know Paul was a Jewish man, but also a Roman citizen. But most likely this centurion was not Jewish and just a a Roman soldier, right? He was a centurion, which means that he oversaw a hundred different men. And, And this centurion, much like all the rest of the centurions that we see in the New Testament, 
Most of them seem, seem to be pretty uh, honorable guys. We, we see another uh, centurion who stood at the feet of, of Jesus' crucifixion. And I know what you're thinking. Thomas, you said they're honorable guys, right? He stood at the feet of Jesus' crucifixion. Well, and the reality is that, that centurion was just carrying out his duties. And, and part of his responsibility was to carry out the punishment uh, on criminals uh, to carry out justice to be done. Now, he didn't know at the time that this was an injustice that was taking place. This innocent man was being crucified. But as he watched Jesus' death, it was a Roman centurion who said, surely this must be the Son of God. And then we see another centurion in the book of Acts named Cornelius. And it's this centurion who he and his, his whole household would become the first non-Jewish, the first Gentile people who would put their faith in Jesus and be baptized, showing the early church that God doesn't show favoritism, but that everyone, no matter their race, is able to come to faith uh, uh, in Jesus and able to come to God through Jesus. And something that Jesus is actually going to point out here in these next couple of verses. Now, another thing that we see about the centurion is that he cared deeply for his servant. It doesn't seem like he was just a boss of the servant. It seems like almost he has a fatherly care for someone who wasn't a blood relative of his, enough so that he comes and finds Jesus and asks Jesus to, to heal his servant, right? Uh, much like a father would come and ask for healing for his son. And so Jesus is willing to go to this man's home and heal his servant. But the centurion shows us something, that he understands how authority works. Jesus has the authority as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And this Roman centurion understands that if he has the authority as the Son of God, he doesn't have to be physically in the place to, to, to cause healing to happen to his servant. He doesn't have to physically touch him. All he has to do is speak. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I, I tell this one to go and he goes. I tell that one to come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does that. This Roman centurion, he understands the nature of authority. And he knows that if Jesus has the authority to heal his servant, it doesn't matter if he is in the physical location. He, he knows that all he has to do is say the words and it's going to happen. If he does have the authority as the son of God, all he has to do is speak. And Jesus is amazed at this Roman centurion that he knows and understands this truth about authority. And so he tells him to go that his servant is healed. But then Jesus also points us forward to a time when more than just Israelites, more than just Jewish people will be able to come to God through faith in him. Look at verse 11. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and, and, I will, take, and, and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus points forward to a time when more than just the Israelites, more than just the Jews will be able to come to God through faith in Jesus, a time that you and I are now living in. And it's interesting to me that it's yet another Roman centurion who will be the first to come to faith in Jesus who would not be Jewish, 
Cornelius and his household. And I wonder, I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if as Jesus is talking to this Roman centurion and talking about a time when people will be able to come to God through faith in Jesus, um, no matter what their race is, no matter what the color of their skin is, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus was thinking about Cornelius and, and seeing that play out as he was speaking to this other centurion. Well, here in Matthew 8, Jesus will go on and heal Peter's mother-in-law and, and cast out many demons. Jesus is the Son of God. His teachings show it. His miracles prove it. And his resurrection will solidify his authority as the Messiah. I want you to look back at Peter's words that we opened up with in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Read, read along with me. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. We've just seen some of those, haven't we? Which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, something that they didn't know. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Friends, this entire book is all about Jesus. All of the Bible points to Jesus. Let me say that again. Jesus is the one that the whole Bible points to. Now, friends, this may be a reality check for you. You are not the savior of the story. You are not the hero of this story. God is the main character. This book is all about not you or me. This book is all about God. God is showing us who he is. Jesus is the one who saves the day. Jesus is the hero of this story. He is the savior. But friends, Jesus isn't your savior until you submit yourself to his authority. Peter's words here in Acts chapter 2 actually come in kind of the middle of his sermon that he was preaching on the day of Pentecost. And Peter has been showing these Jewish people uh, from the Old Testament He's been showing them how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah, that how Jesus is the one that was being pointed to, how Jesus is the one that the prophets were looking forward to. And he shows through the Old Testament how Jesus is the Son of God and how he is the Messiah and the fulfillment of and the one the prophets were pointing to. Now, there were those who heard Peter's message, and like we saw last week, they were like the foolish builders. They heard and they just walked away. But there were others who heard Peter's message, and they didn't just hear it, they believed it. They were cut to the heart, and they said, Peter, what should we do? And I want you to look at how Peter tells them to submit to Jesus' authority. Look at how Peter tells them to respond to Jesus being the Son of God and being the Messiah. When they were cut to the heart, they said, Peter, what do we do? In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And 3,000 people that very day responded and they submitted to Jesus' authority. They believed and repented and were baptized immediately. That very day, they submitted themselves to Jesus' authority, not only as their Savior, but as their Lord, as the boss of every part of their life. And the rest of the book of Acts shows us how they begin to live that out. They died to their sins through faith, repenting and being baptized. Now, Paul, for us, explains in more detail how this actually works and what this looks like in Romans chapter 6. Paul says that we die to our sins and we submit to Jesus' authority when by faith, with a repentant heart, we meet Jesus in baptism. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Why? Because we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And who are those that have died to sin? Verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be also united, excuse me, certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free. From sin. Friends, in baptism, we die to our sins and we die to ourselves. Now, let me tell you, there's nothing special about the water. There's nothing magical about the water. There's also nothing special or magical about the person that is baptizing us. It doesn't have to be a preacher or a pastor. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, what we see is For all of us as followers of Jesus, we are all called to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey Jesus. There's nothing special about the person who does the baptizing. That's something that all of us are called to do. We are all called to go out and make disciples and baptize others. It's not just my job. It's all of our jobs. Peter tells us that baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but a pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Friends, baptism isn't a work that we do, just like faith and repentance are works that we do. Baptism, though, is the place in which we accept the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. Jesus has done all the work. Baptism is us submitting ourselves Baptism is us humbling ourselves. Baptism is us laying aside the authority that sin has over us. It's dying to sin's authority so that we no longer live for sin, but so that we can live for God. It's in baptism with faith and repentance that we are united with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that we are no longer slaves to sin but we can become and submit ourselves to Jesus' authority. 
Paul continues in verse 16 of Romans 6. He says, Don't you know that when, uh, when we offer ourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one that you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you have become obedient from the heart, the pattern of the teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Friends, we are set free from sin in baptism. Not because of the water, not because of the person that's baptizing us, and not even because we are doing something. We are set free because of the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. It's all because of Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. His teachings showed that. His miracles proved it. And his resurrection solidified his authority as the Messiah. Friends, some of, you, some of you today need to come in faith with a repentant heart, and you need to submit yourselves to Jesus' authority by meeting him in baptism for the first time. Some of you need to come and make Jesus not only your Savior, but you need to make him your Lord. You need to come and die to your sins so that you can start living for God. And friends, if you're ready to do that, or you want to talk more about what that means and what that looks like for you, I'd love to have that conversation with you. A little bit later, I'm going to be out in the lobby. Come and talk with me then, or call or text me. I'd love to grab coffee with you and look through Scripture with you and study with you. Now, for those of us who already have met Jesus in baptism, this submission to Jesus' authority isn't just a one-and-done type thing. It's an everyday thing. It's a daily thing. What did, what did Paul say there in verse 1 of Romans 6? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, right? And so we must daily submit ourselves to Jesus' authority. And, and Paul describes what this looks like in verse 11 of Romans 6. He says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Friends, sin isn't our master anymore. So stop giving sin the authority that Jesus has died and risen for. Stop offering any part of yourself over to sin. Rather, offer yourselves to God. Here at Journey Church, we say it like this. We say that we want to live lives that are pleasing to God. And that means that every day we are joyfully giving God the best of everything that we are and everything that we have. And we are trusting that Jesus is all that we need and we are being transformed by who he is and what he has done. This is an everyday thing. That's why we say every day, <laughs> right? It's not just on Sundays. It's not just some days. It's every day. It's an everyday 
We give God the best of everything we are and everything that we have. It's every day we are submitting ourselves to Jesus's authority. It's every day we are being transformed. We are being changed by who Jesus is. Every day we are submitting ourselves to Jesus as Lord. It's not just a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to give you a couple of steps that we can take every day to submit ourselves to Jesus' authority. To give us some steps that we can take to every day live lives that are pleasing to God. And it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. First, if we want to live lives that are pleasing to God, if we want to live lives that are submitting ourselves to Jesus' authority, then we must repent. And friends, repentance is more than just saying that we're sorry. The word repentance actually means to turn away from. In Acts chapter 3, Peter pleads with the people in the temple to repent and turn to God so that their sins may be wiped out and a time of refreshing may come. Repentance is us turning away from our sins and us turning to God. And that's not just a one-time thing. Friends, if you're like me, it's a daily, hourly, sometimes minute-by-minute thing. We must repent. We must turn away from our sins and turn towards God. Repentance is about being changed, changed in direction. It's about being transformed through, by Jesus, through the Holy Spirit and the, the power of God's words. Repentance is key for us daily submitting ourselves to Jesus' authority because in repentance, we are recognizing that we are helpless and in desperate need of God. And friends, from the garden to us today, it's so easy for us to allow pride to get back in and think, well, you know what, I've done this for a couple days now. I think I can do this on my own. But guys, we can't. We are in desperate need of God, and that's what this whole Bible is about. And so repentance helps us to recognize our desperate need for rescuing. It's this daily practice of repentance. And friends, this is a daily practice that we will have to continue to do until this battle in the flesh is no longer when Jesus returns or we go to see him. Friends, we will need God's grace to increase even more. You know, Paul asked the question, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? But notice that he didn't say that grace wouldn't increase because we definitely need it to every single day. We need God's grace to increase. But when we go unrepentive of our sins, we are allowing sin to take a foothold back in our life. When we go unrepentant of our sins, we are giving sin a little bit more authority that we have died to. We're saying, hey, you can, you can have this back just a little bit. And then it's a little bit more and a little bit more. And the end state is worse than the first. And so we must repent daily and turn away from our sins. But not only must we repent of our sins, we also must die to our sins. So if we want to submit 
ourselves to Jesus' authority daily. We need to repent of our sins and we need to die to our sins. I love how Paul puts this in Colossians chapter three. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature or to the flesh or to sin. And then he lists those things out. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. All right, so we've seen one action, right? Put to death. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. And we see this other action. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Mm. Paul, you're stepping on toes now. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off the old self with its practices. Friends, if we want to live daily submitting ourselves to Jesus' authority, then we must do that with repentance and we must do that with daily dying to sin. We must take off the old self. We must rid ourselves of all of these practices. We must rid ourselves of these. But friends, if all we do is die to these old ways of life, if all we do is take them off, if all we do is rid ourselves of those, it won't be long before we find ourselves right back in them. Because not only do we need to repent and do we need to put them to death, but we also need to replace those old behaviors and that old way of thinking with putting on the new self. Look at what Paul says in verse 10 of Colossians 3. He says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. And then in verse 12, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Those things sound familiar? May sound like some fruit that the Holy Spirit bears in us, doesn't it? He continues in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against you whenever you feel like it. Oh, no, that's not what he says, is it? He says, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. I often ask, Thomas, do you want the type of forgiveness that you give to other people? And the answer is no. Because my forgiveness is limited and conditional. But we are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And then he says, over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Friends, if we want to daily submit ourselves to Jesus' authority, we need to repent daily. We need to die to our sins daily. And we need to daily put on the new self. We need to replace our old practices and mindsets with the new. We need to be renewed. We need to be transformed. And friends, this is a daily thing that we must put to death the old self. We must take off the old self. We must rid ourselves of the old way of living. We are transformed by who Jesus is and what he has done. We daily submit ourselves to Jesus' authority with repentance and dying to sin and putting on the new self. Jesus is the Son of God. His teachings, they showed it. His miracles, they proved it. And his resurrection solidified his authority as the Messiah.
And the question that you and I must answer not only today, but every single day of our life is, are we going to submit ourselves to his authority or not? We pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus was accredited to, to us by you through uh, miracles and wonders and signs that we have a record of here in, in your, your word. Father, we thank you that he didn't just teach with authority, he didn't just show his authority by these signs and miracles, but he solidified his authority as your son, as the Messiah, that on the third day he rose from the grave. Because it's not only his sacrifice, but his resurrection that gives us forgiveness that allows us to put to death the old way of life, that allows us to be able to come to you no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what race we are, no matter what color our skin is, no matter where we've been, that all of us are able to come back to you not because of our own works, but because of the work that your son Jesus has done on behalf. So Father, help us to set aside our egos and our arrogance and our pride and help us to submit ourselves to your son's authority. Father, for those of us that struggle with questioning authority at every turn, Father, help us to trust in your son. And for those of us who struggle with, with trying to, to assert our authority over other people, Father, help us to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to your son, Jesus, because he is your son. And he is the Messiah. So Father, help us to choose daily for him to be our Lord as well. Father, daily help us to come to you in repentance. Daily help us to put to death, to, to take off, to rid ourselves of our old way of living, the way that we used to walk. And Father, we praise you that we have now been set free from sin's authority. So, so Father, help us to stop giving his authority back to, to sin and help us to keep it. Keep giving it and submitting it to your son. Father, for those of us that are, are listening this morning who, who need to submit themselves for the first time, would you, would you call them to yourself today? Would you lead them to come and die to their sins and to their self and, and make you their not only their Savior, but their Lord? Repenting of their sins and meeting you in baptism. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us through your Son, Jesus. We are so undeserving. And Father, we thank you for this constant reminder that we get to take in every single week as your followers to remind us of our desperate need for your son, Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would help us to, to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with you during this time and confess our sins and our, our shortcomings to you. Help us to rid ourselves and lay down sin's authority in our life right now and submit to your sons. Father, we ask all of this in his precious name. Amen.